is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So that is the second half um, of Luke 12. Ray covered the first half last week which I believe will be on the website if it isn't already there. It's already there. So if you want the first half of Luke 12, you can find it there. Okay. There's an awful lot there. An awful, awful lot there. Which gave me no end of problems these last couple of weeks when I was looking at it, trying to figure out what to say. Where do you start? Do you just say, don't worry, do you talk about... What do you talk about? What would you say? Julie, what would you, if you got given that, what would you do? I know. And that's what I did. I went to Kevin. I said, Kevin, what should I do? And he gave me some wise words. See? Julie, there's a preacher in you somewhere. So I went to Kevin, and Kevin gave me wise words, as he always does. Kevin is a very wise man. Not always in the choice of jumper, but in other things. <laughs> He has wisdom. So I was looking at this and I spoke to Kevin. And Kevin's advice was this. You can't preach on a passage like that, ripping it to shreds. You need to see, what is it saying as a, as a thing? What is it saying? So I looked at it and I thought, Jesus, there's very specific things he tells us about. And when Jesus says things like that, there's always two options, isn't there? You have two choices. You have a choice. You can either listen to him and do what he says, or you ignore it. And don't do. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at choices. Now your life and my life, as we sit here today, are where they are as a direct result of choices we've made. Some have been good, some have been bad, but the choices that we do make shape our lives. We can't control everything that happens to us, but we can control how we choose to react and the decisions that we choose to make. Charles R. Swindle says this, Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. We are in charge of our attitudes. And he goes on to say, We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We we cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play the one string we have. And that is our attitude. In the passage, we see Jesus talking to disciples and a very large crowd about being ready. talks about the servant being ready for the master, the manager being ready for his boss when he comes home. talks about being ready for his return, for Jesus' return. And Jesus speaks truth, doesn't he? He gives advice on life. But as always, we've got a choice. We can choose to listen and take it on board or we can choose to walk away and ignore it. So I just want to look at four things very quickly. Four choices that we can make out of this passage. The first one is to worry or trust. You see in verses 22 to 28, Jesus talks about do not worry. But the choice is yours. You can worry or you can't worry. You can take Jesus' advice and do not worry or you carry on worrying. Second one, treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. Verses 29 to 34. Thirdly, we're going to be looking at follow and obey or reject and go your own way. 
And I so wanted to play a few songs with that, but I resisted the temptation. I did actually find songs for each one of these. A bit of Dire Straits, a bit of Fleetwood Mac. I said I was there, but, but no. I know, I should have done, shouldn't I? I, sh- I really should go. I should. One day I will. Finally, we're going to look at the status quo or going against the tide. Status quo, I know. Yes, we could have done status quo, but there is actually a song uh, called Going Against the Tide. Um, but it was by some Barry Manilow or something, so I didn't, I didn't think that was appropriate for a Sunday morning. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. I'm sure there are some Barry Manilow fans in here this morning, so apologies if you like the great man. Okay, firstly, worry or trust. Jesus says do not worry. So our choice is do we worry or do we not? Worrying takes us away from God as we try to take control of the things we think are going to happen. When you find yourself worrying, are you seeing God in a situation? Or are you trying to cope on your own? My guess is that when we worry, we forget to put God into the equation. You look at a situation and you look at your own abilities and then worry because you can't handle it on your own. You've removed God from the situation and that is the cause of most worry. When we worry, it moves us from a place of faith to a place of unbelief because we forget all of God's promises. All of them. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a big one. But if we're worrying, we're forgetting that. We're taking God out of the equation. Worry is also unhelpful because it never accomplishes anything. It does not solve a problem. It cannot change the past and it cannot control the future. The only thing it does do is make us miserable today. It is a most unhelpful thing. Joyce Mayer says this. She says, worry is like a rocking chair. It's always in motion, but never gets you anywhere. Worry will make your mountain, will make mountains out of molehills. It makes problems seem bigger than they really are. And to worry about something you can't change is useless. To worry about something you can change is just silly because you can just go ahead and change it. So why worry? Because it's unhealthy as well. A worrier can have ulcers, backache, headache, insomnia. Worry stops us from being healthy. Maybe you're thinking, but isn't worry a natural response? Isn't that our natural response? Well, no. I never see my dog worry about anything. I never see anything in the animal kingdom worry. Yes, they're scared. Scared is a natural response. But do they worry? Well, no, I think my dog trusts me that I will feed him, I will walk him. I will kick him around the garden a few times when I'm frustrated. That's his life and he loves it. He's just sad that we've got a bigger garden to kick him around now. But anyway. But no, worry is not a natural response. So what is? Well, don't worry. Concern, yes. We can have concern for things, can't we? So what's the difference between concern and worry? Well, 
I didn't have an answer for this, but a man on the internet did. I love the internet. He said, the difference between concern and worry is this. He said, worry is problem-orientated. Concern is solution-orientated. Concern focuses on solving the problem, addressing the issue. It isn't going over the same points over and over without adding value to the thought. It is coming up with options, setting priorities and drawing conclusions. Worry that's too intense or too frequent or too unrelenting can definitely cut down on your happiness and enjoyment of life. Now, I'm very fortunate. I'm not a natural worrier. I don't worry very much. I don't see the point. I never have done. But I know some people do struggle with worry and they do find it difficult. And that's where God comes in. If you're worrying about something right now, why don't you take a step back, put God in that situation, and then have a look at it. Have a look at it backed up on all the promises you see in the Bible. If you don't know the promises of God, Google them. There's a whole list, you'll see. You Google it, it comes up with a list. They're all written out, you can type them out, you can read them. The promises of God for you. So if you're a big warrior, can I encourage you? Put God in the situation. Put God in the equation. Look at it through God's eyes. And that will help you. Because worry is not a helpful thing. Okay. Number two. Treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. Jesus tells his disciples to store up treasure in heaven. So again we have a choice don't we? Either we agree with him, we go what he says, we store up treasure in heaven, or we say, no, I want treasure on earth. I want things that gratify my body rather than soothe my soul. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, says, Christ would have the people to be as wise in the concerns of their souls as they are in outward affairs. Christ would have the people to be as wise in the concerns of their souls as they are in outward affairs. In Matthew 6 it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasures are simply things that we value and therefore we want to have. We want to find, we want to work for them, we want to keep them, use them and share them. Treasures. But the thing with worldly treasures, yeah, in their early days, before they went all rocky, Good game, by the way, guys, if you want to play it. You can download it on Google Play, I think. If you're bored and you need something to play. Anyway, where was I? Worldly pleasures will last just a lifetime. Now, the average lifetime for a a person in Britain these days is 80 years. So some of us are nearly halfway through. Some of us have got a long time to go. Some of us probably haven't got as many years. But we're looking about every about 80 years for an average lifetime. The good thing about heavenly treasure is that it lasts for eternity. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to figure out how long eternity is. But it's one of those things that can really mess your brain up. 
Because no matter where you are, you've always got longer to go than you had. And even in a million, million years' time, there will still be more time to go than you've had. And eternity is a very long time. And that's what that's why Jesus says, don't store up things on earth. Don't focus on earth. This is but a short time. You have eternity to enjoy your treasures in heaven. He calls us to be ready. Our time on earth is just a blink of an eye compared to, to our time in eternity. Our bodies live for just a few short years, but your soul will be with you for eternity. So where does your heart lay this morning? Material things or heavenly things? If treasures on earth have a grip on you, if you're killing yourself to gain more and more, there is a subtle coolness about spiritual things that slowly sets in. And then one day, you'll find you've got a lot of things, but nothing of real substance. The treasures in heaven. How do we do it? How do we build up treasures in heaven? Well, Jesus taught one way to build up treasures in heaven is to give money to the poor. So, have you been blessed with money? If you've been blessed with money, God expects you to do good with it. How can you bless others with your money? I was thinking that. I was thinking, right, the young people are off to New Day. A practical tip. Maybe that's something you could do. Maybe you could pay for a friend of somebody to go to New Day. Pay for a non-Christian friend of one of our youth to go to New Day. Storing up treasures in heaven. They will have a good time. I know it. But sometimes it's good to simplify things, isn't it? So I was thinking, treasures in heaven, what would I do? How would I teach the kids in Frog Club about treasures in heaven? Because sometimes we need to just step it down a bit, make it a bit simple. And if I were talking to them about treasures in heaven, I'd probably pull out a few things and say, this is the kind of things you can do. To build up treasures in heaven, you can do things. Visiting the sick, helping feed the hungry, being cheerful and thoughtful to someone who's sad, Praying for one another, working in a shelter for the homeless, being a friend to someone who's lonely, forgiving someone who's hurt you, saying sorry when you've hurt someone else. Now there's a whole list of things you can do, but it's all about the heart, it's all about why you're doing them. Are we doing them for our own benefit, or are we doing them for the benefit of others? And doing these things on a daily basis may not seem like not, not much, but over your lifetime they'll soon mount up. So what are you going to choose? Treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? Treasure that will last about 80 years or something that will last an eternity? Thirdly, follow and obey or reject and go your own way. Again, we've got two choices. You either follow Jesus or you don't. There is no middle ground. 
we see in Revelation, Revelation 3, 15 and 16 says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Being lukewarm is not an option. Following Jesus just on a Sunday is not an option. You can't have a foot in both camps. So the question, is God at the centre of all that you do? Is he at the centre of the big decisions in your life? Maybe you're thinking about moving jobs. Maybe you're thinking about moving house. Where do you go with that decision? Are you looking for what's best for you? Or are you asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? So maybe your focus has been drawn away from God. Maybe you're not hot for God right now. You're lukewarm and you're in danger of being spat out. How do you get back on track? Well, the best way is to go back to basics. The theme of all scripture and teaching from Jesus is to love God with all of our hearts and to love one another. In Matthew 22 it says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if everything that's been written in the Bible, if everything Jesus says hangs on those two things, I would hazard a guess that they're quite important. So if you're struggling right now, if, you, if you're going down a blind alley, you don't know where to go, get yourself back to basics. Love God and love other people. And from there you can move on. But if you're struggling, if you're thinking, I really don't know where to go with this, get yourself back right with God. And start loving other people because as you give, so God gives to you. Start storing up your treasures in heaven. Start with simple things, just words of praise and thanksgiving to God. Acts of sacrifice. Acts of true worship. And if you want to get hot, you need to reject compromise. Reject compromise. And that takes me nicely on to my final point. The choice we have, status quo or against the tide. Jesus was constantly going against the tide of opinion and popular belief. And his ministry calls for a decision. It calls for a radical decision. He is either God is with us or he is an imposter. He is either Christ, God's Messiah and our Saviour or he's delusional. He is either Lord, King of our hearts and of all creation or he is a liar. Making this decision is decisive. Making a decision to follow him is decisive. It will divide families and households. We saw that in the passage. It will be politically incorrect because it doesn't allow for alternatives. As Jesus speaks to his disciples, he also speaks to us. If we decide to live for him, 
not a lukewarm living for him, not just on a Sunday, if we decide to live for him fully 100%, our decision will not make everyone happy. It's not going to lead to everybody liking us. A passionate disciple of Jesus will not be appreciated by everyone. Maybe it won't be appreciated by the majority. So have you made that decision this morning? Are you here? Have you made that decision? If you haven't, I would encourage you to make it. If you have, are you living in it? Are you living in that decision to follow Jesus? Are you hot right now for God? Or are you just bumbling along the bottom, a little bit tepid, a little bit lukewarm? Jesus also came to change the way things were done. He was seen as a religious heretic. He washed his disciples' feet. He spoke to prostitutes. The parables he spoke of were shocking in that culture. Just think of the parable of the prodigal son and how upsetting that would have been for some people. He was a religious heretic. The status quo, I know some of you already know this, is a Latin term. And I'm hot on my Latin. (laughs) Meaning the existing state of affairs. It is commonly used, it is a commonly used form of the original Latin, statu quo. Which literally means the state in which. To maintain the status quo is to keep things the way they presently are, the way they've always been. Now Jesus is not one to keep the status quo. And we're not here for a quiet life either. If you're seeking a quiet life, then I would suggest to you being a Christian is not the path to follow. Jesus came and spoke against the ways of the world. He came to argue his point and to shine light on the wrongs of this world, even if it caused arguments in the family. He was prepared to stand up for what was right. So my question is, will we do the things that we've always done? Are we willing to change for him? It's quite encouraging to see John standing up this morning and ruffling it up a bit because one of my questions from this morning was will Jubilee continue the way it has always has or as a church will we be willing to change if we're called to because we are very similar every Sunday aren't we we walk in probably either just on time or just a little bit late we find the seat we get offended if someone's sitting in our seat and have to move Someone stands up and welcomes us. We worship. We have notices. We listen to the word. That's the way it's been for an awful long time. Is that the best way? Where's the space for the Holy Spirit in our Sunday morning ritual? Because that isn't what we want. We don't want a Sunday morning ritual, do we? Where we come in, we know what's going to happen. It may be nice to be comfortable. You may think, oh, that's all right, I can know I can hang on for the toilet for 20 minutes because at quarter to 11 we're going to finish singing. What would happen if we overran? You'd have to sneak out the back very quietly 
or hang on. But church can become a ritual, even a New Frontiers church. With all our Holy Spirit guiding, we can become ritualistic, can't we? We can do the same things week in, week out. We can sit in the same seats, sing the same songs. And it was great this morning for John to stand up and say, no, not this morning. It's going to be a bit different. And we're called to be a church of 500. That's the prophetic word over us from Julian Adams. Church of 500, which on a morning like this morning when the race has been on and people have stayed away, seems an awful long way away. And will we get there doing the things that we do now? The way we've always done them? I guess is we're going to need to change. We're not going to be able to follow the status quo. Just the way things have always been, nice and comfortable. So, being a church planter and someone who has moved twice, I want to ask us as a church, are we willing to move? Are we willing to move outside our area? We have got three fantastic opportunities. We've got Ashbourne. Kevin and Mel have been in Ashbourne. How long have you been with us now? It's an awful long time. I'm not asking you to move on, Kevin. I'm not saying it's time to move on. Time three years. Is anybody in this church willing to say to God, God, do you want me to move to Ashbourne to be with them? Three years on their own in Ashbourne. Got guys in Belper now. Helen is seeing people saved. Do you want to be a part of that? Is that something you want to see? Why not get alongside Helen's? How does she do it? She does it by stepping out. She does it because God's gone with her. She's stepped out of faith and gone with her. But there's a small group now in Belper, isn't there? Maybe God's calling some of us, some of you, to move to Belper, to be a part of that. And of course, there's always burden. Now we're blessed to have some families in Burton already. And God's when I finally pull my finger out and get our life group started, God will be blessing us. I know he will. So, that's great. But when I was thinking about these three areas, I just I had a picture in my mind of beacons on a hill. And I just believe there's something in that. I don't know what it is. Maybe the elders need to, and the leadership need to pray about those three areas. But I just saw three beacons on a hill standing out. Maybe God's church 500 will include that. I don't know. God never gives you that much information. So my question, have you prayed recently, God, am I where you want me to be? Or are you happy just with the way life is? Are you happy with the way things have always been? Have you prayed that recently? God, am I where you want me to be? The thing is, when you pray that prayer, you need to be willing to accept his response. Because sometimes you'll have a heart to go and God will say stay. And that can be as tough as moving on. Sometimes you'll want to stay because you're comfortable, you like it here. And God will say, no, I don't want you there, I want you to go. Adam's not here this morning, but when we asked him um, to pray about moving to Burton, I don't think he was too keen, to be honest. 
But then he said he came to me and he said he was running out running by the river one day. And he saw all these twigs and all this stuff getting caught up in the jetty. And he said he just felt God say to him, you're getting stagnant. You need to move on. So he obeyed. And he's come with us. And Adam and Anna getting married next weekend. And then they come to America. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> I still don't get that. <laughs> but it's great for them. They're going to have a wonderful time over there. So are you brave enough to pray that prayer this morning? Or are you happy with the status quo? As a church, will we push against things? Will we go against the flow? Will we be happy to change things? Or do we like them just the way they are? I would say the status quo is when churches get lukewarm. And that's not what we want. Not for Jubilee. We don't want to be a lukewarm church. So as we finish this morning, I believe the call is to be ready. We need to be ready to make the right choices. We need to be ready to trust and not worry. We need to be ready to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. We need to be ready to follow God's call and obey what he says to us. And we need to be willing to go against the tide. Because we don't know how long we've got. We don't know what God's calling to us. There's two verses we read. You must, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Verse 46 says, The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. We don't know, do we? Nobody knows. Matthew 24:36. But about the hour or the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Are we ready to live with an eternal view? Our time here on earth is but a blink of an eye. Our bodies do live for a few short years. But your soul will be in heaven for eternity. So are you ready? Are you a servant waiting attentively for your master's glorious return? I just want to quickly go back to one of the verses that struck me last night when I just was reading through this again. Verse 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God has given you the kingdom. He is pleased. He doesn't hold it back begrudgingly. He is pleased to give us the kingdom. Like this morning, he's pleased to come and bring healing in our midst. He's pleased to come and spread joy in this place. 
He is pleased to come and provide for our every need. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God coming. It's God's fullness. He lavishes upon us. Healing. Peace. Joy. Patience. All these things. He's pleased to give you. So don't listen to the lies this morning where the devil says, no, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Jesus has said it. And I love the way he calls them little flock. Because we are like sheep. Sometimes we need pointing in the right direction. Sometimes Jesus uses the staff. And I always thought a staff was for beating a sheep. But if you see a shepherd, no, he holds it out. He guides He guides the sheep with his shepherds. God is not into beating people. He guides them lovingly. We are his little flock. And God is pleased to give us his kingdom. Quarter to twelve. Can we stand? Can we finish just with one one song? Is that all right? Yeah, we're just going to finish with a song and a pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that, Lord, your kingdom came, Lord, and people were healed. God, I thank you, Lord, that when your kingdom comes, Lord, things change. Lord, the status quo is no more. Lord, you came to change this world. Lord, and you want to do it through us, and we thank you for that. And we just pray this morning, will you help us, Lord? Where we're struggling, Lord, will you bring your kingdom, your encouragement, Lord, your healing, your wisdom, your joy, Lord, all those things. And Lord, as we stand here now and worship you, we pray, speak to us again. Thank you, Lord.